Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. In 1996, I co-founded a nonprofit organization in the San Francisco Bay Area. We called the organization the Ella Baker Center for Human Rights. We named it after an unsung civil rights heroine, Ella Jo Baker. Uh, Now, the organization worked to move money from prisons and punishment towards opportunities that actually uh, helped communities. Now, we founded the center during a time when prisons and police power were expanding in the United States. And that expansion was aided in large part by the infamous 1994 Clinton crime bill that we talked about in episode one. Now, in addition to the three strikes and you're out provision, that bill included $9 billion to fund prison construction. And it had an additional $8 billion to help hire more police officers. Now, why was there a quote unquote need for billions of dollars of prison construction? Well, simply put, It was a matter of supply and demand. Since uh, the 1970s, the incarceration rate had been increasing in the United States with more and more people getting locked up and those people serving longer and longer sentences. And so as the supply of prisoners was increasing, so was the demand for some place to house them. Or the risks are worth the rewards. And when criminals think about reaching for a gun, they're going to know that they will do time, hard time. And yes, this policy may mean more trials. And yes, we recognize that more offenders serving longer sentences obviously means more uh, more prison space. Now, one of the many initiatives that we launched at the Ella Baker Center was something called the Books Not Bars campaign. And through that effort, we worked with our allies to successfully close five abusive youth prisons in California. We also prevented a super jail for youth in Oakland from being built. But that alone, as great as it was, it just wasn't enough to stop the prison boom that was happening in California and all across the country. That's because at the heart of the law of supply and demand is profit. And prisons were becoming big business. This is Incarceration Incorporated. I'm your host, Van Jones. So how do you make a profit from incarceration? Well, here's one way. You charge the folks that you're locking up to be locked up. Now, see, a lot of people don't know this, but incarceration can be expensive for the actual folks who are being locked up. Topeka K. Sam, who is the founder of Ladies of Hope Ministries, experienced this firsthand. So when people are incarcerated, they there's this this idea that they get everything that they need. Right. So you lock them up, you throw away the key and they get meals. I think that the term is three hots in a cot. And so you're good. But yet you pay for everything like I remember 
you we had to buy toothpaste we had to buy soap we had to for women buy sanitary napkins they didn't even offer tampons we had to uh, purchase if for me any type of skin cream medication there are even prisons or jails excuse me in this country where people have to pay to be incarcerated so i remember being in the county jail in virginia was pamunkey regional jail where they charged people to actually be incarcerated there. And then if you were not able to pay that, then that meant that you could not order commissary or they also charged you to go to see medical. So if you had any medical ailments, you had to pay a dollar for a medical visit. If there was any medication you had to purchase, you had to buy that or they would tell you to go to commissary and they sold all the OTCs, over-the-counter drugs like Tylenol, um, ibuprofen, You have to pay for your phone calls. Um, In the federal system, there was Internet where there was an internal correlate system where you can email. You had to pay for that. If there were video conferences to see your children because you were already moved from your kids thousands of miles away, you have to pay for that. Um, So everything there is a cost and the cost doesn't come on you, right, because you're making five cents an hour. The cost then goes on the family who then has to pay for you calling them. Um, There's a sister, Kendia Riley, who's just turned 22. Her parents have been incarcerated since she was two, both her mother and father on federal drug conspiracy charges, both have life. Her mother had gotten 13 life sentences. And she talked about the first time I met her, how her relationship with her mother was based on money. This is how she saw it growing up because the only way she was able to talk to her is if she sent money to her. And so to have this be impeded on a young child who just wants to see their mom and thinking about, again, the travel that comes in, having to pay for hotels, having to either pay for airfare If you're all the way across the country, even in another part of the state, people don't understand that sometimes it costs hundreds, even thousands of dollars to bring people to see your incarcerated loved one. And so it's like all of these costs, all of these costs, all of these costs. And Topeka's experience is more common than you might think. So NYU houses something called the Brennan Center for Justice. The Brennan Center issued a 2015 report which identified at least 43 states that had statutes that allowed for what's known as pay-to-stay fees. That's right, pay-to-stay fees. That's essentially charging prisoners for room and board. Just for reference, the Pamunkey Regional Jail that Topeka was just talking about, they charge their inmates $3 a day, and that can really add up pretty fast when you have no income because you're locked up. Now, as Topeka points out, it isn't just the incarcerated individuals who've got to bear these costs. It's their families, too. And I asked my co-founder at Cut 50, Jessica Jackson, to share her experience. Now, when her husband was locked up, she encountered a lot of unexpected financial burdens. Anecdotally, you know, it's very expensive for a family to have somebody who's incarcerated. There's an entire industry built around it. You have to order things uh, off of a catalog or online to have packages sent to people. Those are things like radios or sweatshirts um, because they're not getting enough at the prison or food because they're not getting enough at the prison. The phone calls are extremely expensive. They go through private companies. When my husband was incarcerated, uh, we had to pay $21 for a 15-minute phone call because he was in another state. It's not because it actually cost that much for that phone call, 
Um, but it's because the company was making such a high profit off of him being incarcerated and his loved ones having to receive those calls and not having another choice other than not to talk to him. And the financial imprisonment doesn't necessarily end there. You might have to pay for your ankle monitor, and that can cost anywhere from 5 to $40 a day. Okay, there are halfway houses that charge fees of up to 25% of a person's gross income. The financial burdens from being incarcerated just can go on and on and on, even after the sentence has been served. And it's especially devastating when you factor in the racial and economic disparities in our criminal justice system. We talked about this in episode one. Incarceration can create an expensive burden for people who already can't afford it. Communities that are poor, black, brown, and often already under-resourced. Shaka Singor, who's the executive director of the Anti-Recidivism Coalition, elaborated on it in this way. When you think about the communities that's most likely to be impacted, uh, and, that, and that's one of the things that just doesn't enter the conversation enough in regards to how uh, these limited resources, you know, in these communities are basically sucked out of the communities when the loved one gets incarcerated, uh, the whole family becomes incarcerated. And when the loved one's on parole, you know, the whole family is basically on parole or probation because they got to figure out how to foot the bill. And it's just one of those sad realities of the of the whole system in itself. And, you know, it's absurd to think that we're not really supporting people in that way. And I think, you know, one of the things that we've been able to do is model what's possible when people do have support. You know, those of us who have transitioned successfully, uh, it didn't come without a cost. It didn't, did come out without pain and, and things of that nature. Right. Uh, but we were really fortunate. I mean, we had skill sets that allowed us to overcome those obstacles. But um, everybody coming home doesn't have that. And, you know, a lot of times people can't even get off parole or probation until they pay those fees. And sadly, you know, it's hard to pay fees when it's hard to get employment. And so it ends up being this really destructive cycle of people going in and out because they're scrambling, trying to figure out how to hustle up a few dollars uh, to, to get off parole and end up getting caught up in the process because they can't pay or being penalized because they can't pay. In some states, failure to pay your fees can lead to a suspended driver's license. And in 44 states, you can even be reincarcerated, put back in jail for not being able to pay your fees. That's not me making that up. That's according to data cited in a pound of flesh, monetary sanctions as punishment for the poor by Alexis Harris. Now, take a moment to think about that. You served your time. You're trying to put your life back together. But now you can find yourself shackled again by fees and by fines that you can't afford. Fees that you can't pay because you can't get a job because you've got a criminal record. Or fees that you can't pay because your driver's license has been suspended and now you can't get to the job or even the job interview on time. Now, these unpaid fees are often subject to high interest rates on top of that, making it even harder to pay off your debt. It's like this perpetual revolving door, and it's almost impossible to get out. Now, that's just one way that people are making money from mass incarceration. But it's not the only way to profit from locking folks up. We're going to talk about that more when we get back after the break.
This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The prison industry is actually much more than the incarceration industry. There's actually $270 billion a year that is going into this. And a lot of people are aware of the private prison industry and how much money is being made by private companies. But this is also something that the government is profiting off of. Now that is NMI Chetiar. Remember the Brennan Center for Justice at NYU that I was talking about earlier? She helps to run that. And she's talking about how much money is being made in America from locking folks up. For example, there are all sorts of perverse financial incentives here. So if you are a sheriff, you're going to get more money if you have more people in your prison beds. And so this plays out not only in private companies, but also in public companies. And so there's this massive industry that is going across the country where people are making money off of locking up people for very long periods of time. Quote, a massive industry, end quote. Now, you could also call it a large-scale jobs program. And that's because when you build a new prison, it can lead to economic opportunity for some. Think about it. There's more money coming into a community from the wages that you got to pay for the new people who are hired at the prison, the people who are building the prison. Also, more business for local companies that are servicing the new facility, you know, laundry services, food services. That's one reason why politicians have advocated for the funding of prisons over the years. A recent example of this was just in 2016. That's when Republican Congressman Hal Rogers was trying to get uh, $444 million in federal funding. He wanted to build a new maximum security prison in Letcher County, Kentucky. Uh, Now, that's in rural America. He didn't want the prison because the crime rate was out of control. It was because the region was struggling economically. He saw the prison as a way to bring in jobs. Now, You might be shocked to think that some people would see human beings in bondage as an opportunity to make more money. But the roots of this approach actually go pretty far back in our history. You know, after the Civil War, a system known as convict leasing was developed in the South. And that system basically allowed prisoners to be contracted out to do work on plantations and, you know, in mines, on railroads. They did many forms of hard labor, but get this— for no pay. Now, at the time, this was completely legal. I bet you're wondering, how is that possible? This sounds like slavery. 
Well, even though the 13th Amendment of the Constitution does outlaw slavery, it makes an exception for folks convicted of a crime. So today, prisoners perform a variety of jobs, you know, from manufacturing and custodial tasks to even putting out forest fires. And as of 2016, at least 37 states allowed prisons to contract out their inmates to private companies. That means a number of companies in the United States have benefited from prison labor. Not China, the U.S. benefiting corporations through prison labor. A Mother Jones article from 2008 highlighted a whole range of goods and services produced using prison labor in the past. Convicts have worked for subcontractors packaging uh, Nintendo Game Boys or or Starbucks coffee, uh, cutting Boeing airplane parts, even sewing clothes for uh, Victoria's Secret and you know J.C. Penney. Looking at the public sector, there's a federal prison industry program or Unicor. Now, that was established back in 1934. It's a U.S. government corporation whose entire workforce is made up of federal inmates. Now, most goods that are made by Unicor are not sold to regular folks like you and me, but they go to state agencies, they go to not-for-profits, those products do. The net sales of those goods are in the hundreds of millions of dollars annually. In fact, Unicor's latest filing for fiscal year 2018 reported just over half a billion dollars. Meanwhile, the prisoners who are creating these goods are often paid extremely low wages. A 2017 study by the Prison Policy Initiative found that for work like custodial jobs or other maintenance-related tasks, incarcerated folks will earn, on average, between 86 cents and $3.45 per day. Not per hour, per day. And at least five states documented in the same study reported inmates were not compensated for their work at all. Now, organizations that oversee these you know, prison labor programs claim the work is benefiting the inmates, it's giving them job training, it's giving them opportunities, but with little oversight of the working conditions, prisoners are extremely vulnerable to being exploited on the job. So when you look at how much money is being made from prison labor, you start to see some of the financial disincentives that NMI was talking about, the roadblocks to reforming the system. Now, this came up also in my conversation with Jessica. When, when you think about some of the uh, challenges of, of getting us to a better place, um, do, do you think that the financial uh, incentive winds up being the main barrier, or do you think that there's a way for us to um, to overcome this incredible financial interest that so many people have in locking folks up? You know, I think that there is an opportunity to overcome it, but it's going to take a lot of work. And at Cut 50, you know, I'm in and out of the halls of different legislatures and walking around uh, to different offices, and it's not uncommon for me to run into people who are there lobbying for stricter uh, laws that will end up incarcerating more people that are from private companies that are benefiting off of uh, having people incarcerated. Now, 
Some of these private companies that Jessica's referring to who stand to benefit from stricter laws are the private prisons themselves. After all, they've got a major financial incentive in getting more people locked up. That's more clients for them, uh, more money for them. In 1985, Texas became the first state to start using private prisons. And from 1990 to 2009, the number of prisoners in private prisons increased by approximately 1,600% nationwide. It is now a $4 billion a year industry in the U.S. 8% of all state and federal prisoners are now held in privately operated facilities in 27 states. Now, that's according to the latest data from the DOJ's Bureau of Justice Statistics. Private prisons often charge the federal government or the local jurisdiction where they're based a per diem rate per inmate. Now, this rate typically drops as the number of inmates in the private prison increases, creating a perverse financial incentive to lock up more people. And since uh, government contracts are the primary source of revenue for the private prisons, it's the taxpayers who end up footing the bill. Can you just touch on that, Shaka, how much money gets sucked out of our communities into this incarceration industry? Absolutely. Uh, And I have very personal experience. You know, I was sued by the Department of Corrections, and they sent me an itemized list of the day-to-day costs of my incarceration. They sued you because you got a book deal. Because they thought I I wrote a book. I didn't even (laughs) have a deal yet. But they thought I had a deal, right? And they sued me for the cost of my incarceration, which at that time totaled a million dollars. Wow. And so it was averaging between forty and fifty thousand dollars a year uh, to incarcerate me up to that point, and you can imagine what that would do to a community that's devastated by poverty and devastated by lack of resources and, and you know crumbling school systems. That you know, to, to my experience, when I walked out of prison, the most devastating thing that I observed was the first school I went into was in worse condition than any prison I've ever served my nineteen years in. And that, to me, told me that we're willing to invest more in prison than education. And that's problematic in a society where we have so many kids deserving of a quality education in places where they can learn that doesn't, you know, look dilapidated, outdated uh, and corrosive. Forty to fifty thousand dollars a year. And that's just the cost for one single inmate. Forty to fifty thousand dollars. Now imagine, what else could we do with that money instead of putting people behind bars? Imagine the investments we could make uh, into education, in communities, infrastructure, healthcare. I mean, you got a list that could go on and on and on. I would take it as far as saying, like, enough is enough, as it relates to how we continue to criminalize people for poverty. Um, for substance misuse, for gender inequity, for racism. Like, enough is enough. And looking at people as people, right, like humans first. That's, you know, what we say through our project, humans first. Like, you know, people first. If we begin to, to create and build a world that's more just for every human being that's birthed into existence, We're going to talk about those possibilities and more solutions on the next episode of Incarceration Incorporated.
For more on the criminal justice system, check out my docu-series called The Redemption Project. It airs on Sunday nights from 9 p.m. East Coast and West Coast on CNN. You can also find it on CNN.com go. I take you into the room as people who have caused harm and gone to prison for that get face-to-face with the people whom they hurt, and they have a conversation for the first time, face-to-face. You get a chance to witness restorative justice. It's a powerful process. We're going to talk about it later on in this podcast. You can also visit CNN.com slash redemption to learn more. If you like this episode, head over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app and subscribe. And leave us ratings and a comment while you're there. This episode was produced by Amy Eason, Elizabeth Roberts, and Emma Sislowski. Special thanks to Andy Lichtenfeld and Gus Alexander at the Reform Alliance. I'm your host, Van Jones. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.